Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 23rd of September 2019. Good morning, everybody. Um, where should we start this morning? Let's start with something exciting, shall we? Like oilseed rate prices come down. That's come down because the pound's gone up. And as we speak, there's some excitement about the possibility of the Irish border being possibly some agreement with between Mr Juncker and whoever's supposed to be negotiating for the UK. So we're all very excited by that. And therefore, the strong pound has pushed the price of rape down a little bit. So there's obviously rape. It, it's going to kind of stick around with currency issues for the short term. There isn't that much rape around, as we know. Our underlying belief is it's going to stay firm all the way through the season. And there are some horror stories on the new crop rape uh, with with the lovely flea beetle. So I guess, underlyingly, we are friendly to rape ongoing. And we are very sorry to hear some of the rape is being pulled up for next year's crop. And uh, it's going to be turned into something else. Let's move on to barley next. There's been some life in the barley market. There are, as we've mentioned previously, several people have sold cargoes of wheat and barley in anticipation of Brexit and there being perhaps a little less export beyond October. And with the feed barley boats regularly turning up and collecting grain, there's a point at which you have to find some fresh grain to fill those boats. And as I've said, farmers are not really helping that much. So there have been some better prices. So this week we've heard 115x farm for feed barley has traded, which is good. It's movement next week. I think that particular boat is filled now, but there is certainly demand at 115 or maybe a tad more than that here and there where someone's getting really desperate. So lots of buyers of feed barley to fill their boats, which leads on to the base of malting barley is therefore improving because if you're going to bid someone a really rubbish price for malting barley and then start claiming off them, the downside is is getting closer. In other words, if you just sell it for feed and avoid the misery, then maybe the base price for the malting barley has to go up a bit. So without getting too heavy on that, malting barley prices aren't much more than 125 X farm. Um, as you go into the year... Yes, you'll get into the 130s, but it is a pretty flat and boring market as far as we're concerned at the moment, and there is more than enough to trade. I suspect some of the higher nitrogen barleys in Essex and other counties at the moment are just feed. There may well be some life in export post-Brexit. If the UK product is well-liked, which it is, and I think we... One or two European malters might be prepared to pay the tariff if a tariff occurs. So maybe it isn't just going to lie down and die, that one. Uh, let's hope not, because that would uh, make life a bit easier if we could clear the surplus. So that pushes us on to beans. Beans means not a lot, really. There's there's uh, a lot of human consumption issues. The brookid beetle has been horrendous this year, and there's lots of feed beans trading. 170x, 180x, depending on whether someone's got a boat, there's little flurries of activity. It's not a very special price. Uh, I don't see it 
altering that much uh, until we've whacked loads of it out of the country and then there's none left, but that, that seems a long way away yet. And the people hanging on hoping for better things with human consumption, yeah, I guess that's what we've got to do. And that side of the market, they've got to pick the best of a bad job as far as we can see. Which leaves us just with our favourite, which is, which is wheat, milling wheat. My avid milling friends uh, and listeners, you know, I think about milling wheat. It's a, it's a marvellous product uh, uh, until you deliver it. So the premiums are actually half decent if you've got the protein and the spec. And, and our part of the world's definitely got the kilo weight in Hagberg. And certainly the two or three guys that um, I know grew milling wheat specifically to try and achieve the right spec have got well over 13%, which is very pleasing. I I think that the premium for that's going to stay around about, um, I don't know, 15 quid, something like that. So you'd probably like to see prices um, late 30s, 140x for, say, November. Uh, you can tell I'm not really, really into that because I'm not very concise. But certainly it's a good premium this year on the price up front. It's just then the claim culture that gets you when you get delivered. Sorry about that, men. Anyway, feed wheat. Feed wheat has perked up. There's feed wheat boats, the same scenario as the feed barley. Very hungry, very much arriving at the port. Not enough farmers coming forward with their product because they're actually drilling and doing other stuff and they're, they're too busy to think about it. Or the loader is in the wrong place because it's, it's loading the seed driller. Lots of practical logistical reasons why they can't load grain at this time of year. So if you've got lots and lots of boats lined up one after the other, you are going to be fighting very hard to get people to flog it to you. So consequently, some of the prices being paid for September relative to the November price are out of sync. They're paying too much technically for September wheat, which is great. So we've seen prices in excess. I've not bid this because I'm way too tight, as you all know. But we've, we've heard prices of 130x for September in Norfolk and more than that in some parts of the country as you get down towards the bigger port near Tilbury. So there has been some very hefty bidding on farm to get farmers to let the grain go at effectively the same value that really November is worth. So just bear that in mind. If you can spare a few minutes to load it, it is technically two months early to get a price you'd be getting at that time. I appreciate that will give you an extra month off when you get to November, you farmers. But uh, hey, it's one less worry, hey? So feed wheat firm, certainly for the next four, five, six weeks while these boats are in our face. So I think that's going to be the story that continues. My only dilemma and my only kind of more downbeat aspect to the current market is what we mentioned last week, which is the complete lack of clarity or certainty about what happens next. And we have new crop, which is trading at a price which is above budget or above cost of production, arguably, and... Therefore, you should be selling it on the basis of a terrible Brexit would mean no export and a surplus staying in this country and no one likes us and nobody cares and all that. But we would be left with a surplus and it is, as I say, a grown-up thing to do to cover risk by selling at a price that represents a profit. It's a terrible autumn for planting. Everyone's planting into very dry seabeds and they're saying, well, it always rains, doesn't it? Well, we're British, it does always rain and we always talk about it. But I, I think... Yes, it's fine. Put it in the ground. Yes, it probably will rain, but there is a phenomenal shortage of moisture in the ground. And I am just instinctively saying the weather in the world is changing. I wouldn't overly sell new crop grain at this point. And this is one that could be seeing me hung in 12 months time. I appreciate that. But at this moment, I don't feel that is the correct thing to do. So I look forward to some healthy debate or argument on that one or someone saying, ah, they're wrong on their podcast. 
because let's face it, people have been waiting for that moment for over a year. <laughs> With that happy thought, cheers, have a good week's trading. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Crush Foods produces a unique range of single-variety, cold-pressed rapeseed oils. All their seed is grown here in Norfolk. They only press a single variety for its taste, and they believe that this is what gives the oil the light, nutty flavour people like. Available in local shops across Norfolk, Suffolk and beyond. Visit crush-foods.com for more information. And now it's time for Farm Chat. This week I have got with me the legend that is Peter Riley. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Andrew. And with us for the usual intelligent aspect of the conversation, I have Ian Webster. Good morning. And Peter works for, for Pharmacy PLC, and you are the, the Norfolk division. That's correct. We, uh, we're Pharmacy Norfolk, which is uh, just about two years old now, uh, with John Perslow, myself, Richard Bailey, Matt Hardy and John Lowe. Okay, and the best bit about your job now is the fact that you are just an agronomist. <laughs> the amount of conversation that we've had pre the mics turning on and the number of years that I've known Peter, this is likely to be a two-part series because there's so much to talk about. And so in this first session, we're going to talk about the current year and the dynamics that are immediately facing farmers. And then the next session will be about the dynamic of the agronomist and where they sit in the future. So, Peter, it is the driest autumn I can ever remember. Is that is that a fair statement to start with? Uh, so far, it's been quite uh, dry in September, and uh, that's caused us a huge amount of problem with oilseed rape crops. Actually, where I'm sitting here in, in Elsham is a little bit uh, better because we've had a little bit more rain in this area than we have further south. But it is dry, yeah. We're further well south being Suffolk? Yeah, from Norwich downwards, it's incredibly dry, yeah, very often missing out on rain. There's something about uh, 18, 19 mil here or something like that, and we're maybe half that in some areas. So, so all, it is very dry. All the locals are going to be feeling happy then. They're, they should be satisfied with the fact that it had 18 mils in the whole of August. Yeah, well, it helps uh, It helps being on, on uh, silt, uh, sandy silt loams that uh, are reasonably... Boys land. Is it? Uh, well, that's your term, Andrew. I noted from the, <laughs> one of the episodes before, I've, but... Uh, <laughs> I've picked it up. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and, and of course, on, on lighter, lighter soils in this area, then, then drought becomes a, a bigger problem, uh, as it has done at harvest time and the like. You aren't just an agronomist because we know that you're part of the um, recommended list. Uh, it's uh, it's it's the AHCB's recommended list project board, which produces the AHCB variety recommended list booklet. So you're not just an agronomist; you're actually a man who who has a fair, fairly big input into the dynamics of, you know, I think you're the chairman of the barley and. Oats and other cereals, uh, Andrew. Uh, yes, I mean, I give time to it, and I, I'm very happy to, because it, generally I think it's a good thing for farmers and growers and, and the industry as a whole. It's, it's regarded, certainly, by, by some people as, uh, as the crown jewels of, uh, of AHDB and, and widely recognised as, as a very strong system across Europe. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's the, the recommended list is it, isn't it? And um, there's so many nominees every year to try and get on that list. And if you get onto the fabulous list, it gives your seed the opportunity to get serious sales. I've got talking about the crown jewels as well, Peter. You have got the grand accolade of being the uh, Farmers Weekly Agronomist of the Year as well, didn't you? 
Is it uh, on the mantelpiece? Uh, that's 10 years ago now. Uh, so ancient history, I'm afraid, uh, Ian. <laughs> yeah, you can't apply every year, though, can you? So we know, we know that you'd win it every year because we, 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 we sell you big time on the basis of every year Peter comes to our seed recommendation. Yeah, it was week. a great privilege. It was a great fun night out, certainly. Well, the, you mean winning the award was a great night out coming to our seed thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how long have you been doing these podcasts, Andrew? Now, we've only done the podcast for a year, yes, just over a year. It's taken you a year to invite me. <laughs> <laughs> <We're> str- wordless. <laughs> the first time in a year. I actually have no response to that. You're absolutely right, Peter. Save the best till later. Indeed. But you're a double header, so that means you're important. You got out of that one. So, so let's talk about this year, this autumn, what farmers are facing. We've, we've just started to touch on old seed rape you know how many of them are going to pull it up uh, various scenarios but i think there's there will be more losses in oil seed rape this year than last year unless it rains and we have a very very good open autumn following but at the moment it's very difficult and farmers are pulling out their hair at the moment because there's very little they can do about uh, the problems of flea beetle and dry weather i've got to say as a rapeseed trader I had that terrible conversation this morning from a grower saying i'm going to pull up rapeseed next week when's the deciding date when would you pull the plug in it when how much of a chance would you give it well next week's a perfectly uh, rational time to do it if you're considering putting it into a winter uh, winter cereal for example or or winter break crop say but uh, many people will actually give it a chance until the close of play to the end of this year and then consider a spring crop i've got some concern about the rapeseed cropping and you said well it's not the issue this year your real concerns are who plants it next year yeah flea beetle is increasingly difficult uh, in getting rapeseed to to establish on particularly on the clay soils and particularly on on rotations where there's been frequent rapeseed grown over the years and it seems to get more difficult every year and if you go into some of the hot spots say in Cambridgeshire and Suffolk and um, and Essex, Bedfordshire, those sort of areas. Many people have given up rapeseed yeah. already, totally. But the pressing question is, what do people grow? What else do people grow? What's the alternative? Yes, it's a very good question and one I come across all the time. And uh, rapeseed, if if we can grow rapeseed, we we try to because uh, it, financially it's it's still a good crop, or, or, albeit uh, potential yields, I believe, are, are declining. But um, uh, the alternatives are all, all have problems, basically, uh, from oversupply or, or whatever. Uh, we could put the question back to you, is what is the, what is the great demand for break crop sales that you're getting from your end users that we can grow? Yeah, I, that's, right, we just put more and more cereals in year after year cereals, and then we come back to the point, you know, we, we're, we're not the people who can advise farmers how to make their land sustainable or how to make their land uh, produce fantastic yields. It's got to have a break. Alsi rape's been a great treat for 20 years. Beyond that, we go back to pulses, but they get oversupplied. They get, they've got their yeah. own beetle issues. So if you, if you go into some of the clayland areas that have actually given up rapeseed, you'll find that uh, there's uh, 
a higher proportion of field beans. Uh, there's very often oats, either winter or spring oats, mostly spring oats, in the rotation. Oats are oversupplied now, aren't they? Well, uh, that's... They are. That, just, that, it's, a, it's a low that, price. That comes it? as no surprise to me, Andrew, because there's been a significant increase in spring oats on the, on the heavy soils. I, I never understood oats to me was a cereal, but it is actually a break crop. What, why, what's the dynamic of that, just for the ignorant? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's take-all, basically. Okay. So oats uh, don't leave the sort of nutrition that's left behind after pulses and oilseed rape, but they are a break crop when it comes to take-all. Okay, so we're going to have to start looking at, uh, at fallow. We're going to start looking at complete years of bringing back animals. Yeah, that would be uh, great. And, and there is a bit of work going on to, to see whether it's possible to put uh, grass into the rotation for a couple of years within an arable rotation and use that grass, say, for some form of livestock production. But uh, uh, the, the, the livestock production on grass is under its own pressures as well, as I understand it. I'm not a livestock expert. I think part of our, our second part of our discussion for a, a week or so hence will be that dynamic the, the dynamic of where rotations go but the, but there is the answer to the question about break crops there isn't a magic answer at all no we're, we're fortunate in this area that we have freezing veg crops as yeah. such uh, we have anaerobic digester plants as well that require feedstock we can grow good yields of sugar beet and we very much need to grow good yields of sugar beet to make it uh, viable there are plenty of places that can't grow good. good. I, I, am, I am being incredibly generous as, as ever to the rest of the country and allowing for the fact that this particular corner of England has potatoes, sugar beet, you, so many crops we can grow on the... Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of this because I, I, we, deal, we deal with people on, on stronger soils away from this area who mm. just don't have those, those alternatives. And uh, you're then into to a relatively short list as we've... Spoke yeah, about which, which, so the dynamic for us is understanding what happens next and trying try to second guess what the farmer can do with the options available to him, bearing in mind that, that perhaps oats isn't going to make him a profit. Uh, you know, what's the least loss you can make? I don't know. What, what, whatever the, the decision-making process is, it's going to become tougher, but you cannot have cereal after cereal after cereal. So something has got to occur. And if chemicals are disappearing... The dynamic changes, that's the, that's the crux of the... Yeah, it's been quite interesting. I've been working with clients to actually have a long-term rotational structure to their farm for many years. Mm. And it's been quite interesting over the last couple of years that uh, some farms will say, hey, we've suddenly discovered this new thing, it's called a rotation, and then we're mm. extending mm. our rotation. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's very much, we have to go back to cultural uh, uh, control of all sorts of things, mm. but also look very much at a sustainable rotation. Yeah. Uh, and there has been examples of very unsustainable r- rotations in the last ten or twenty years. Yeah. So I mean, so so, so if you if you go back to the worst of this last year, I mean, this was the year I can remember. You know, we we, do, we don't trade uh, chemicals, as you know, or fertilisers, and so our our input is purely on the basis of the varieties that people grow, i.e., seed sales and trading the grain that comes off it. So we can look dispassionately at agrochemicals, and it was the year where. Lots of farmers leading up to sort of May were saying, I don't need to spray, I've, I, I've saved so much money, I'm, you know, this is a year where we don't need to do it, it's going to save us a fortune. The worst fungicide year, I think, was from a sales perspective possibly. What happened next? 
What happened next? Yeah, I mean, we had the, we had this uh, meeting in May when we spoke about that, and uh, I think uh, we were. Uh, it was certainly my view that you had to be very cautious about using fungicides or uh, or reducing fungicides in crops because we'd had a we were on the back of a very mild winter and a very good establishment year, so we came into the spring with very high canopies, big canopies, mm. and big canopies drive and, and mild winters drive disease. So we in Pharmacy Norfolk were seeing quite high levels of disease in the, particularly the early sowing crops coming into the new year. And uh, yet we were seeing press coverage and some advisors uh, suggesting that we should cut back on all manner of things, which was, we couldn't see at all. As it's turned out, it's turned out to be a really difficult uh, disease year. Mm. The septoria levels in certainly our crop that we have in mid-Norfolk in early June were miles higher than we've seen for many years. So did people cut back? Did they say, no, I'm not spraying it because it's at the wrong moment? I, I think they probably did. If you look at some variety trials, say, and you find that varieties like X Days and Graham are at the top of the variety list in terms of performance, I would suggest very strongly looking at the fungicide program. Now, if you look at the RL, which has a, uh, it has a program that is designed to, to reduce disease by 90%, so it's, quite, it's, it's a well above a commercial program for this part of the world. The RL is recommended the, list. The recommended list. Yeah. You will find that those relatively resistant varieties are mid-table. Right. Uh, so, and that would tend to suggest that the program that has been used in that variety trial is, is quite ordinary. Mm. There are differences between varieties and their requirements, but uh, uh, it was a high disease year, and I think uh, there are some defective programs on farm out there and people making the wrong decision that they will have still had a reasonable yield, but I think they would have lost uh, quite a considerable performance uh, for a relatively small cost. Peter, I don't like to be critical of the AHDB, but they did come out with a message a while ago, and we had a meeting with them, and they were um, looking at farmers trying to save money or reduce cost rather than look at yield, which to me seemed a bit of a negative step backwards. What's your view on it? Well, uh, to, to, to be fair, you need to try and do, do, do both, really. You need to have uh, 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 the, the, the correct sort of cost system, as, but, uh, uh, but also produce a, a good output. So we certainly suggest that we should be looking at contribution uh, of, the, of the whole farm, not just a crop, but the whole, whole farm. One of the things that we're very keen to do is to, is to get the average performance uh, up across the whole farm, basically, and not just talk about the one field that did... 12 tons or something like that but forget about the one that was covered in rabbits and then you did eight um you mean the bit where the, the combine monitor said it was 40 tons <laughs> so average average yields and as farms get larger which is sadly well not sadly but is it's, it's what's actually going to happen yes for the next decade or so uh then the the challenge of actually keeping those yields up across the whole farm and basically I still believe that the, to get the maximum contribution and the maximum uh, profits out of a farm, it's actually to, to, yes, keep a hold on costs, but also look at maximizing your production out of what you've got. Because it costs very often more to grow a bad crop in terms of costs than it does to grow a good crop per hectare, let alone per tonne. And bit by bit, the chemicals 
again, from an ignorant perspective, the chemicals that you've been able to utilise are gradually disappearing, aren't they? One by one, your, your hands or your feet are getting they, they are, but the industry is reacting to that quite well, and the breeders in particular. So, so there's some great new material coming through. There's, there's I think, seven, at least 16, I think 17 or more varieties, uh, candidate varieties coming into the wheat, uh, going to be grown for wheat recommendation in autumn 2020, uh, November 2020, and those have got some very good characters within better disease control uh, as such that possibly require slightly less crop protection and can deal with the resistance that we've got with diseases that we're suffering from now. And in particular, another trait uh, like RGT wolverine that has barley yellow dwarf resistance in it. Mm. So the breeders are really stepping up to the mark, in my view, at, uh, at uh, bringing new, new traits and new, in, new inventions. But that, that the brings into the industry a, a dynamic that is your pharmacy business is paid by, a, by the hectare for the job that you do. You're there to recommend, and the actual purchasing of the chemicals is done as a completely separate entity. So the motivation for you is not to sell chemicals, it is to provide the service that is the correct service, the best cost, the best return against an industry that historically made more money the more chemicals it, it moved. And, and we're moving away from chemicals. It's, it's, it's going to make yeah. it a bit tougher, isn't it? The, the inst- yeah, that, that's absolutely the case. I mean, we, we charge a fee for our services. Mm. And, uh, and our, our ambition onto farm is to actually make, uh, make farms the biggest uh, contribution at the end of the day. Uh, and they can get their material from wherever they like. Mm. Well, I mean, I've always joked that uh, the, the agronomist is the man that everybody asks everything about. You know, what should I get my wife for her birthday? What sort of truck should I buy? You know, they're, they're characters that don't see many people or something unless they go to the rugby club. And then along you come and they, and they ask you everything. You are so powerful. What, what, how do you handle that? I'm not saying about that, but uh, uh, one of the advantages of being uh, uh, an agronomist, uh, and certainly what I would uh, say to, to, to anyone, is look at who your agronomist, uh, who he works with, uh, basically, because mm. if he's working with really good people, then hopefully some of those, uh, some of those good practices will be spread around the place, albeit I never admit to who I work with. We are fortunate that we see good practice on farms and we're able to perhaps take that on to other farms. And we're also able to see what is a problem, what, what isn't a problem on farm a lot easier than if you're living with it day to day. So uh, it's particularly the case at the moment with oilseed rape crops where some farms think, oh, gosh, this is, it looks terrible. And uh, we're thinking, well, actually, that was much better than the last it, <laughs> block I saw. It, uh, so, uh, is, is the tied-in agronomist in a worse position than you to make a, a clear decision about pulling a crop up? You know, if someone's tied to a company that's well, got everything... I mean, basically, uh, I think all agronomists are, are looking to do the best for their clients, no, where, I mean, what, whatever, whatever system and, and company they Well, they, they won't be kept for. unless they do. I, I, I get uh, So I suppose I, I think about it when I, if I get involved with doctors at all at any time, which I try to avoid. But uh, uh, I'm thinking, well, I know that there's uh, a good agronomists and fairly ordinary agronomists in, in our industry, and I'm thinking to myself, well, there probably is in the, in the medicine as well. Well, and do you know as a punter going along to some whether you're, at a, you're with somebody who's uh, reasonable or not? But um, yeah, no, most agronomists are, are, are going to be looking, uh, you know, all agronomists are going to be looking after their, their, their clients' uh, profitability as, as well as they can, despite what system. And very much the change is going to be looking at how they bring new practices and how they look at sustainability and making, uh, making new systems and new methods of actually producing crop going forward. Mm. Just a, a comment on the doctor thing. I, I was at a party and someone was talking about, uh, you know, 
there were several medical people there and there was a joke going around about one particular surgery that had two doctors and one one of them's nickname was Dr Death and the other one's <laughs> the other one's nickname was Dr Rigor Mortis <laughs> So if the if agronomy is the same as that, we'll, we'll have to... Yeah, well, away. there are some nicknames of various <laughs> agronomists around the place as well. But, um, yeah, I th- the, the role of the agronomist is definitely ch- changing going forward. It is actually to, to look at the whole farm system, how they produce crops, not just uh, agrochemicals, but uh, but also using the, the, the variety traits, what, uh, what crops to grow, what mm. mix of crops, and, and really the system, whether we change to a conservation system, a conservation tillage system, or, mm. whether, or whether we go to a reduced traffic system. As such there's a lot of issues but that's the direction of travel and i think the future for young agronomists is fantastic because uh, as we move into a more uh, increasing difficulty of production and less tools to our armory the the value of a of an agronomist becomes even more important on farms if ever there was a perfect segue that's going to be the, the part two we're going to come on to that i'm going to roll up this week's conversation with with just the the stat that we came up with before the the mics were turned on about the rain 68 percent of the the rainfall in the last 16 months was it yeah over the last 16 months environment the environment agency uh, report of august was that uh, uh, the 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 rainfall over the last 16 months on average across east anglia was 68 percent of of the long-term norm Mm. Uh, river flows are very low Mm. and uh, and in the last six months, the rainfall was around about eighty percent of normal. So we've ended up with a, a pretty a, a pretty good harvest uh, around the place, and some stunning spring uh, spring crops, spring barley crops in particular, and twenty percent above expectation. Uh, and uh, it just shows you how good uh, farm practice is to 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 withstand these sort of difficult sort of circumstances to produce these sort of yields mm. but it, if it continues it's going to be very tough you know oh absolutely uh, absolutely i mean the particularly with water flow and uh, irrigation and, and long-term groundwater supplies so so yes we do need a uh, we very much need a wet winter to to uh, replenish so you, supplies if you were talking to your, your farm they said oh, what should i do with my grain peter what do you what do you say what do i say well find yourself a good uh, good uh, grain uh, um <laughs> Merchant, do you know any of those? <laughs> uh, of course, as we are as we are fully independent, uh, we're unable to actually uh, to, to highlight a particular grain merchant. But uh, yeah, I, I think actually selling grain is one of the most difficult things my clients have these days um, because uh, weather is out of their control. But actually, what they do on farms is within their control. But they uh, find uh, find selling grain and when they should sell grain very very difficult. Yeah, listen, there's been issues in the last 12 months, which were so obvious, and with the benefit of hindsight, you know, that the first 12 months of the podcast, we've been right. And the next 12 months of the podcast, absolutely no one knows what happens next. For what it's worth, on the basis of the rainfall, I've just said in an earlier part of this, uh, this, this report, that I think new crop is worth holding on to, not selling it, purely on the basis of the dynamic of how the autumn is stacking up and the amount of water that's available to it. And yet the political argument says you should sell it because the price is good basing it on normal or average yields we've just had seven world good harvests on the trot seven years of plenty seven i think years of famine yeah the point is i think being an agronomist in in difficult times is when you're really really going to make a difference and you're going to be able to make conscious decisions for people who are too close to their crop 
that's the bit that's going to make a difference how much they spend how much they end up losing or making yeah well i've always said i've always liked difficult years uh, <laughs> because uh, you you have to make various calls as an agronomist and if you, mm. if you in difficult years then you've got to make that it's if it's a standard year then it's not boring <laughs> right with that we're gonna we're gonna sign off this week and um thanks very much for listening just postscript I was so engrossed in that conversation with Peter, we forgot to drink the beer, so we'll have that in the second part. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 